0: morning city light how's everybody doing good 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 my name is Chuck as Doug said and I get to be one of the pastors here at our church Um, I actually oversee what we call city groups Um, one of the things that we like from a very from the very beginning one of the foundational things that we think is important here at city light is that we not only um gather on Sunday mornings. We don't want everything to be just about us gathering here on Sunday mornings. So one of the things that we thought we would do is we, we gather on Sundays, but then we scatter throughout the week. We value the scattering throughout the week, just like we value the gathering on Sunday mornings. So we gather like a family reunion on Sunday mornings, and then we scatter throughout the week into smaller families that we call city groups, city groups. Um, A city group is a small to mid-sized group of people that they're they're growing in the gospel. They're like being transformed by the gospel. They're growing as a spiritual family. And then they're also on mission to a particular network or neighborhood um, in Council Bluffs or around Council Bluffs. So that's what a city group is. Now in the front of you, there should be in the seat back a card with like a black top on it. We call that a connect card. If you want to be part of a city group, if you want to engage our church in ways that you can't engage on these Sunday mornings, would you just fill that card out and drop it in the back uh, in the giving box that's in the back of the room We'll reach out to you and we'll invite you into a city group and, and uh, let you, you know, become, experience our church, church in a more full way. Um, now, before we get into the part of the Bible that Doug read for us this morning, um, I want to ask you a question. What do you find beauty in? What is something that, like, catches your attention? When you see something out of the corner of your eye and it forces you to turn and look for more, what is that thing that causes you to turn and look for more? Now, if you were to ask my wife this question, she would tell you that for me, it's old cars and cool motorcycles. That's what, like, gets my attention. Those are the things that makes my head turn. It just happened the other day when we were in Lincoln. We were visiting our daughter, and as we were going down A Street in Lincoln, I noticed a baby, something baby blue off to the right, and immediately my head turned, and what did I behold? A 1964 Ford Mustang. And as we passed, I said, Jen, did you see that? And she said, see what? What? She like missed it completely. And as I tried to explain the beauty of this 1964 Ford Mustang, I'll have to tell you, she was less than impressed. It wasn't something that was on her radar. It doesn't turn her head. Um, But she knew that this thing got my attention. She saw that I noticed it and that it moved me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been uh, somewhere where like something catches your attention? Your heart begins to race and it gets you excited. For me, like I said, it's old cars. Maybe for you, it's uh, the sunset. Sunset captures your attention. Maybe it's a flower garden. Or for some of you kiddos that are in the room, maybe it's a Nintendo Switch or some Beyblades. Or for for some of you little girls, possibly, it's a Hatchimals or an American Girl doll. Something along those lines. Does that get your attention, kids? Yeah. Well, the truth is, we all enjoy beauty. And today, I want to show us that that joy, the author of that joy is God. All right? So with the rest of of our time, I want us to see two things. Number one, the Bible celebrates beauty. And number two, there is purity and passion. The Bible celebrates beauty and there is purity in passion. So uh, let's get started with how the Bible celebrates beauty. The Bible has a lot to say about beauty, and particularly, it has a lot to say about the beauty of the human body, but it has a balanced approach. So, what I mean by that is this the Bible warns us on having too much of, of an emphasis on beauty. Proverbs 31.30, it says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Proverbs 6.25, it tells us this, That Do not desire the beauty in her, talking about the adulterous woman. Do not desire the beauty in her heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. So the Bible warns us on placing too much of an emphasis on beauty, but it also takes notice and it values beauty. Um, look in Genesis 12, 11. Abram is talking to his wife, Sarah, and he says to her, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Basically what he's saying is, baby, you look good, <laughs> Right? He notices her and he says, baby, I like the way you look. And then in a few verses later, the, uh, the Egyptians also see her and they say that she looks good as well. So guys, just so you don't feel left out, there's also some good looking men in the Bible that are noticed. There's guys like Joseph and David and Absalom and Saul All of these men, as we see them in the Bible, they're noticed as good-looking, they're noticed as beautiful, just like the women. So what I want us to see is the Bible warns us to not place too much of an emphasis on beauty, but we also see that the Bible takes uh, notice and it values beauty. So Pastor Douglas O'Donnell, uh, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, puts it this way, beauty is like a cut rose. It's worth beholding even though you know it's withering away. It's worth beholding even though its thorns can prick. It's worth beholding because the flower's beauty in that moment points to the beauty not of Mother Nature but of God. So if beauty is a prickly rose, the song shows us how to enjoy it without getting pricked. The pride uh, the bride and the groom in this song notices beauty, but they not only notice it, they celebrate beauty. Kids, um, they, let me see here, they, they don't celebrate this bride and groom, they don't celebrate a cool looking car or a sunset or a flower garden kids, they don't notice necessarily these cool toys or they're not interested in um, video games or dolls. You know what they're interested in? They're interested in one another's body and particularly they really like each other's body. Now, kiddos, I know that sounds gross right now, but hopefully here in a few years maybe your eyes will be opened up to those things and mom and dad can talk to you more. But um, uh, both the bride and the groom in the song refer to each other's body as beautiful. Um, look at how the, the groom starts it off in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Oh, most beautiful among women. Verse 15 says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And then she tells him in verse number 16 Behold, you are beautiful. My beloved, truly delightful. All throughout the, this song, these two lovers are telling one another how beautiful each other are. They're, now, there's times when they're describing each other's character. They're, they're talking about and they're commenting on each other's character, but they're also commenting on more than each other's character. They're describing each other's body. They're letting each other know that they really like what they are looking at. In the first part of this chapter, the groom, he focuses on her face, on her head. He comments on her eyes, talks about her cheeks, makes mention of her hair, and then he says, by the way, you've got nice teeth. Yes, he talks about her teeth. You see, teeth back then was something that wasn't too common. And so he's just letting his girl know, hey, I appreciate you taking care of your teeth, baby. I love it. Keep it up. It's good for me. And then he moves from her face, from her head, and he starts at her feet. He notices her feet. He works his way up to her rounded thighs. He notices her belly, her navel, and a lot of other things right? We can't go any further because this is a family Sunday and I'm trying to keep it PG. But it's safe to say that he really likes what he sees. So what do we do with that? Here's one thing I think we can take away from this. The Bible celebrates beauty and it's okay to take notice. The groom in this song, he notices and he comments on the beauty of the bride very specifically. The others in the song, they they continue to ask for her. Can you just come out again so that we can behold your beauty? They also wanted to celebrate and be a part of this. They love what they see, and they are excited about it. Now, maybe this will help a little bit. A little over a month ago, Jen and I, we got the, uh, the privilege of going to Mark and Kelsey Murray's wedding right here in this building. And I remember as Kelsey came through those doors, Mark was right over here and he was turned around. And as he was turned around, Kelsey made her way around the back of this room and all of us that were in the crowd were in awe. We were looking at the beauty of this bride. We were taking in the beauty of this bride and appreciating this bride for who she was. We celebrated her beauty. Now, just as Kelsey got to the center of this aisle, Mark, he turned around. And as he turned around, he began to weep. He couldn't hold back the tears. He was taking in the, bride of his, the beauty of his bride in a way that was totally different than what the crowd was. He noticed her beauty in ways that only a groom can. He celebrated his, the, this beauty differently than what we did. Kelsey is his bride, and her beauty meant more to him than words could express. It's the same way I felt about my bride, Jen, almost 27 years ago. There's a special, there's a unique, there's a distinct appreciation that a groom has for his bride that only can exist between those two. So the Bible, it shows us that beauty is something to uh, be noticed and celebrated, but it also shows us that it's something that points us to something else, all right? Let's take a look at Romans 1. Look in verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What Romans is teaching us is that as we look at the beauty of creation, as we look at the beauty of the rolling hills in Iowa, as we look at the beauty of the majestic mountains in Colorado, as we take in the vastness of the ocean on a beach in Florida, and as we look at the the human form, the beauty of the body, we should look beyond these created things and look to the creator of those things, and that is God. That's what beauty is meant to be. God created the body, not so that we can worship the body, but that the body, his creation, would point us to him, the creator. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. Beauty is celebrated, and it points us to God. The second thing I want us to see is that there is purity in passion. There is purity in passion. Now, after the groom, after he expresses his delight in his bride's body, let me just say he's ready to do what married people do, all right? He's ready to do what married people do. And as Doug said a few weeks ago, he's ready to practice some righteousness. There we go. There's purity in the passion of this bride and groom. There's purity in the passion that they have for one another. The passion, it's good and it's right and it's healthy and it's pleasurable. But can I just say, timing is everything. Timing is everything. The bride says it this way in chapter eight, verse four. I adjure you, old daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The bride, bride, she repeats what she has already said in chapters two and three. And basically what she's saying is there is a proper time and there's a proper person to pursue this passion with. The proper time is marriage and the proper person is someone that you have vowed your life to. It's someone that has vowed the rest of their life to you. It's that person that you've chosen to be with for your entire life. There's a proper place and there's a proper person. And I want to talk particularly for just a moment to the singles that are in this room. This type of fa- uh, passion that is found within marriage, can I just let you know, it is worth It is worth pursuing purity before you pursue the passion. Singles, if you pursue purity while you're single, it will make the pursuit of passion within marriage something even more meaningful than you can ever imagine. So single gals, please don't buy in to the lie that this will make him mine. Single guys, don't believe the lie that if i don't do this if i don't if i don't yield to this pressure then she's probably going to leave me hey dating couples don't believe the lie that you got to try it before you buy it it's a lie don't believe it dismiss it instead pursue purity knowing that kind of passion that is found within marriage, that it's a wonderful gift and it should only be pursued after you say, I do. But after you say, I do, you can engage this passion. You can pursue this passion. You can run toward this passion as often and as freely and as as often as you want to. So engage the passion after you get married. I want to show you how the bride engages this passion in chapter 7. Look in verse number 11. Look at what she says. Come, my beloved, let us go out to the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the great blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love the mandrakes give forth fragrance and beside our doors are all choice fruits new as well as old which i had laid up for you o oh, my beloved if you're married this passion this desire it's healthy right and good so husbands enjoy pursuing chasing and running after running after your spouse pursuing your spouse This idea of pursuing your spouse and running after this passion, it's like playing offense and defense at the same time. And what I mean by that is you're you're running and pursuing this passion and it's it's giving life to your marriage, you're enjoying the marriage bed. But it's also um, playing defense because it prevents you and it keeps you from yielding into temptation. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's what the song is wanting us to see today. There is purity that it goes on between the relationship between a man and his wife. It's right, and it's good, and it's worth pursuing. So can I give us some very practical help here, some very practical wisdom. Um, Don't get lazy in your marriage. Sir, don't get lazy in your marriage. Pursue your bride. Ma'am, don't get lazy in your marriage. Would you pursue your husband? One of the things that we have seen in the course of this Song of Songs is they're pursuing one another. They're giving life to one another. They're continuing to mine the jewels and the precious things that marriage has to offer. They don't give up. They aren't lazy. They aren't putting things on cruise control. They're continuing to dig. Now, I know it becomes easy after 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of marriage to put this thing on cruise control and not pursue your husband or pursue your wife. My, my hope is that we just don't do that, that we pursue our husbands and wives and that we don't settle and get lazy. So take some steps Take some steps to guard yourself from being lazy. That may mean that you um, attend a marriage retreat once a year. It could be that this coming week, you begin to date one another again. Check out, maybe somebody can watch those kids. There's people around here that would be willing to do that, but begin to date your spouse again. You have to fight against being lazy and in 2019 maybe one of the ways that this works itself out don't don't raise your hand but how many of you take your phones to bed that's a problem it could be a problem that's not how things started off right like when you were walking to bed 20 years ago 15 years ago five years ago when you first got married when you were walking into the bedroom with your spouse how excited were you to to know that you're going to be scrolling Facebook. Huh? No, man, that wasn't part of it. There's something else going on in your mind. So don't take your phones to bed. Two people start out and there's some passion for one another. There's some heat for one another. There's some desire for one another. But somehow, some way, over time, that begins to wane. And and the the guy, the dude, finds himself stalking somebody he used to play football with 20 years ago on Facebook. And she's looking at Joanna Gaines' feed. And there's nothing going on that should be going on to feed the passion that needs to happen within a successful marriage. Can I just say maybe it's not a good idea to take your phone to bed? Maybe it's not a good idea to take your phones into the bedroom. I don't have a chapter and verse for that. It's just some practical wisdom to help you pursue intimacy and build intimacy between you and your spouse. It's hard to compete with these phones. Maybe your phone isn't the barrier. Maybe it's Netflix. Could it be that romance novel? Guys, maybe it's that hunting magazine. I'm not sure what it is, but... Um, Whatever it is, get it out, shut it off, put it down, and I guarantee you it'll be better for your marriage. And Here's the last thing I want you to see. Pure passion points us to Jesus. Pure passion points us to Jesus. Pastor Tim Keller, he said it this way, according to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect the saving love for us in Christ. Marriage, it shows us the depths of God's love. Um, it, It reveals to us who Jesus is. His life, death, and resurrection shows us that he is all in on us. Marriage, when we're in marriage, when we've decided to walk with one another in marriage, we're saying that we're all in. I'm all in for this lady. I'm all in for this guy. This woman that I'm pursuing, this man that I'm pursuing, um, they are, I'm trying to help them flourish. They're who I'm pursuing. They're who I'm thinking about. They're who, I'm, um, they're who my heart is for. That's what marriage is. And this is a picture of the, of the relationship that Jesus has with his church his life, death, and resurrection, it shows us that he's all in for us, that he pursued us, his bride, so that we could flourish. This means that everything that is related to marriage reminds us it's a shadow of something greater than itself. God uses marital romance to show us how Jesus pursues his bride. You see, Jesus didn't start this relationship off cold, did he? No, Jesus started this relationship off red hot, and he didn't give up. He kept pursuing us. He never wavered. He never got lazy. He never gave in. He never gave up. Jesus finished well, and he paid the price for all of us. He paid the price for the times when we get lazy. He paid The price for those times when we put our marriage on the back burner. He paid the price for all those times when we gave in to temptation or bitterness. Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for all those times when we gave up hope that he or she will ever change and took our phones to the room with us. He paid the price when we gave ourselves to that guy or to that girl that wasn't Our spouse. It doesn't matter if we're unmarried, happily married, or miserably married. Folks, Jesus paid the price for us. That is the good news of the gospel, City Light. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, if I'm honest, The Song of Songs has never been one of the most underlined books in my Bible. But the more I look for you in the Bible, the more you reveal yourself to me. To linger here in this song is to tap into the deepest longings for intimacy, passion, and delight. In our best moments, our love for one another is just a hint and a whisper of the way you love us. We are your beloved, the bride upon whom you've set your deepest affection, who you paid the ultimate price and who you delight in greatly. This isn't the gospel that I grew up with, but this is the gospel. To be desired and to be wanted and pursued, to be seen and to be enjoyed, to be known and to be nourished, to be remembered and to be cherished. All of this is is promised and provided in only one place. It's in the gospel of your grace. Holy Spirit, can you enable us to believe And to experience all that you have for us. Oh, we cry out today, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Rescue us from unbelief. And revive our cold heart. It's one thing to say that we believe the gospel, but it's another thing to believe that you delight in us. And that your desire is for us. We ask you to do a great work in our hearts this morning. Forgive us for believing that any human being could possibly satisfy the longings that you created in us. Forgive us for trying to be to someone else what only you can be. Help us all, the unmarried, the happily married, and the miserably married, to realize that you, Jesus, are the one who we always wanted and the one to who we belong. And Jesus, would you help us to believe that you are the one who always wanted us? It's in your precious name that we ask these things. Amen.